Hello and welcome to the MotoGP Extra podcast. I'm Reese, and joining me today to discuss the America's GP is Dylan. So we'll get straight into it, talking about probably the first thing before we get onto any of the races is actually the track surface itself. Obviously last year when they raced here there was many, many issues with the track surface. The riders were calling it unsafe. Uh, it did seem to be a little bit better this year, but I think it was still a bit bumpy in a few places. What did you think to the track being resurfaced? Um, not good enough still. Like if we're going to cover all three races, every qualifying session was yellow flags for 85% of the session. So many people qualifying who got pole was determined by yellow flags, not the fast rider in all three classes. Same with FP3, same with Q1, same with Q2. Track isn't suitable currently for a GP. I don't think it ever will because a lot of people don't know, but it's built on kind of, I don't know what the exact term, but it's like a bogland and with really high heat in Texas, uh, all accumulated with the high temperatures, a bit of moisture in the air. The track basically starts to sag in certain places and what they've done, they spent how many millions on fixing it is going to happen again. 18 months, two years, and it'll be just as bad. And I think MotoGP need to start looking elsewhere in America. I love the fact that we go to America. Again, America's a huge, huge fans for GP, and it's good that we go there, as it is the World Championship after all. But for now, I think Texas days are numbered on the calendar. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with what you're saying there, to be honest. It just... It, wasn't still, it still wasn't good enough in a lot of places. It was a lot better in some of the worst places, but... Yeah, there's still a lot of bumps everywhere. But let's get straight into Moto3 now then. So the first thing I will mention, so it happened, I th I th it was free practice, I believe. I don't believe it was qualifying. It was a big crash for Alberto Sura. Very similar to the one that happened last year that red flagged the race. He had some sort of contact with... Was it... Which, which rider was it that he hit again? Um... Ortola, that was it. He had contact yeah. with Ortola. And very similar to last year, obviously it's such a fast place to crash because you're not really meant to crash on the straight. He went really far. It was super, super dangerous. It looked like he was probably in a bit of a bad way for a, a little while. Fortunately, I think he is okay. But what did you think to that incident? It's a bit of a weird one because when I was watching the live coverage in Free Praxis 3, they cut to the shot of him already about to hit the barrier after having the crash. So... At that point, you just instantly flash back to last season to the race, and you're like, oh no, not again. Not again. Especially in the free practice. You're obviously battling for time, and you're doing race runs, this, that, and the other. But you're not trying to battle. You're not trying to think, I, I need to pass this guy 100 times into this next corner. So it was a weird one. But when you watch it back, it is just a small bit of a mistake from Sir. He just doesn't kind of check his peripheral vision. He The way he takes his line out and comes back and does a right in front, he was trying to slipstream. And they just basically, they both kind of went into the slipstream at the same time. And unfortunately, Alberto Serra came off worse. Fell at 140, slid down the road, and he has fractured his right scaphoid, which is um, not the worst thing. It is rideable. The only thing is it does suffer from a lack of blood flow, which means it's a long injury. It can be a long injury to get over. So it looks like that's a lot of his season. Now he's going to be kind of pegged back by this. Unfortunately, it does plague a lot of riders when they break the skateboard. It's a bone just in your wrist, just behind your right thumb or your left thumb, whatever hand it is on. And uh, unfortunately, that's going to plague him for a lot of the European races. And uh, But overall, massively lucky. That could have been... Like, he does 
when he crashed, he gets pulled in towards a fence, gets hit with the bike. So to get away with that after such a violent and fast crash, he can count himself lucky, really. Yeah, pretty lucky for Sora in the end. Then obviously it's, it's not great that he's picked up the skateboard injury, but like you say, it could have been much worse. But moving on to the race then now, and the, probably the first thing to mention since it happened at the start of the race was uh, Dennis Onshu on the first lap. He was uh, he was not messing around, was he? He was sending it up the inside of everybody. He was weaving on the straight, and then obviously he bashed into Barrera and started shaking his head. So yeah, what did you think to, to Dennis Onshu in that first lap? He doesn't do himself any favors. I sometimes I I don't know. I have a bit of a love hate relation relationship with um, Dennis. On raw talent, I'm a big fan of him. He's absolutely incredible. But he does he just does so many stupid things on a bike, and I think he deserves a long lap penalty for what he did, because like Michael Laverty was saying at the time in the commentary that their natural line is to come across the track on the bigger bikes because they naturally pull left and right when the wheelie. It's just the way you ride them. A Moto 3 bike doesn't really have that force pushing the left or right. And he just cuts across and he just literally veers into him. Again, you could say it's similar to Sauron. But at the same time in a race, you have to be a bit more aware about where your boats are and where your riders are. And so it just, it was, I don't understand what he was doing. And then the shake at the head for the whole straight. And then he sits up as he comes out of turn one, starts banging his bars and slow in the middle of the track. Uh, he trains with. Uh, the, all the Turkish the other riders in World Superbike Top Rack and his brother and a few other riders and apparently they are mad aggressive and they just throw moves at each other and they try to race like that but in the World Championship that just doesn't go like that is not allowed you can't just absolutely send it on people and just basically sideswipe the guy in the middle of a, a racetrack and again God forbid if someone went down there that's on the exit of a track on the race line that could have been a horrific accident again so I definitely think he has to be penalised some way but at the same time, the penalty system in MotoGP at the moment is just badly, badly wrong. It's flawed in so many ways. And I, um, I'd i like to see an overhaul of the penalty system. And I think then we could actually see some changes happening on the riders. I think the penalties at the moment are too soft and in- inconsistent. Yeah, whilst we're actually talking about sort of the, the race direction, the stewarding, things like that, I thought, um, going sort of back to the Sura crash, they, they spent a long time before they actually red-flagged it. It was uh, yeah. really, really poor. And uh, I don't know if you saw it, but in the American Talent Cup, it was the first race of that today, and there was a crash at the first corner. It wasn't on the first lap, but it was at the first corner. And there was a rider basically unconscious in the track, and he was there for a good couple of minutes. Now, those bikes were slow, so it took them nearly three minutes to do a lap. So they did get him out of the way in time, but it seemed like if a guy's been lying in the track for that long, they probably should have stopped the race at that point. So yeah. it was a, yeah, I assume it's the same sort of stewards that make the decisions, even though obviously, you know, it wasn't actually MotoGP, but it's the same kind of thing. It's, it's the road to MotoGP and it was part of the the event. So still falls under that. So yeah, it was a quite yeah. poor. Also as well, Sean Dylan Kelly in... Might even in the session before, I think it was FP3 from Moto2, he high-sided coming out of turn 11. I was pretty much stricken on the rumble strip, and they did not red flag it. And like you could see, there was three marshals there, two were attending, one to the rider, one to the bike, and one was basically just, because there's a massive dip there as it comes down out of turn 11. So he was kind of in a bit of an area where like you mightn't be seen straight away, so a lot of the marshals were trying to basically to push the riders away from it instead of 
red flag in it. Now, again, the marshals can only do what they're told, but that should instantly be in a red flag, in my opinion. So, some interesting decisions once again. Yeah, yeah. Another podcast, another time send the MotoGP <laughs> stewards are not good enough. It's just, should yeah. have its own segment, shouldn't it, at this point? <laughs> should, yeah. <laughs> but uh, back to the Moto3 race then. So, we were mentioning, obviously, the contact that Onshu had with Marrera. Marrera was looking really, really impressive again. I think he seems like the real deal, if you ask me. He's, he's constantly up there fighting. Obviously, it was unfortunate the way his race ended. Obviously, he had that crash, but he was showing good pace, had good race craft. I was, I was super impressed with him. Yeah, his overtaking was brilliant. And the way he was backing the Moto3 bike in, there was a, a shot of him, must have been lap three or four, coming into turn 12. And he is full speedway, supermoto style. It is on full opposite lock. His right boot is kind of just hanging off as his body leans in and it just slowly comes back into line. It's it's an incredible shot. I'm sure it'll be all over social media within a couple of hours of the race being finished. But yeah, he's one of the rookies that's never been to this track, but for whatever reason, maybe you now the um, the uh, motor cross style of the real rugged, bumpy, rough track just suits him better. He can get on with the bike mood no more, whereas... I think the the other rookies were struggling a lot. Like in all classes, the rookies just had a kind of a poor weekend, and he was the only rookie that really had a good weekend across the three classes. And it just I think it, the whole race, he seemed aggressive on the brakes. He was all over the place with like the bike moving, and I think it just might have bit him towards the end with tire wear that um, ended in his crash, unfortunately. But again, it's promising. Like you could always, it's you can stop fast rider from crashing which can't make a slow rider faster as, as the old saying goes and at the moment the brazilian looks like he definitely has some talent and it's noticeable as well in the red bull rookies he was quick but he had a lot of issues riding hondas in some other categories i know he's on a ktm he looks to be a lot stronger so he'll be someone to watch when we go further into the championship yeah definitely definitely will be one to watch there. So probably one of the biggest moments of the race since it involved the, at the time, championship leader was a crash between Garcia and Holgado. And then obviously Holgado went down on his own actually twice in the race, but he went down on his own uh, uh, later on and twice at the last corner as well, which is even more interesting. But it was a a bit of an interesting uh, pass because usually Garcia is the one that's doing the aggressive pass and knocking somebody else off. But this time he was on the receiving end Holgado sort of went on the inside, basically rode into the side of him, and yet again got away with, just got away with it completely. Yeah, at the time my uh, girlfriend asked me who was at fault, and I said initially from the onboard, I said pure racing incident, and then watching it back afterwards in the helicopter cam, he he doesn't follow his line. He does yeah. purposely. No, you could say he purposely wants to kind of push him wide, and unfortunately. Garcia tips in, they collide, but he's going out of his way to stop him from turning back in. Now, it's, it's a st I still lean to a racing incident, but it's still not clean. Like, it's not a clear-cut one you could... If he got a penalty, I, I would have no problem with it. It wasn't very good from Holgado. And again, a rookie, rookie error, you could say. He just tried to give him a bit... I think he was expecting that Garcia would just kind of sit up and he'd kind of lose more time and... He'd buy himself maybe two or three tenths out of it, but at the end he just takes Garcia's bars away and takes him out. And it was unfortunate because Garcia has had a horrid time with this track. Big crash here last year. I was actually having a pretty good race himself. He was in, in the group for the win and ended up retiring with a couple of laps ago. So 
losing championship lead, being taken out at a horrific track for him. I think Cameron came the way of Helgada towards the end of the race, having his own crash. I think five corners later after having that incident with Garcia and then coming together with Kite Tobe in the final corner. I'm not too sure exactly who was at fault for that one. The footage I've seen, it's just the two of them are basically already off the bike. So yeah. I don't know if you saw a full accident to that. But for me, it looked like it was Kite Tobe's fault, but I could be wrong with that one. No, I think I've just seen the same clip as you. It sort of cut a yeah. bit too late and the, there was a... Fernandez as well was was around them, so I don't know whether he had any part to play mm. in it or not. I, mm. Probably not, but he was on the inside of the corner, so yeah. it could have could have had something to do with it. But uh, the, all of those events then led to what was quite a nice feisty sort of last lap battle between Messier and the the two Hondas of Mino and uh, Foger. Obviously, Messier ended up winning the race, which is the first time he's won for over a year because obviously his uh, last win was the first round of last year. So it seems like he's finally got his season off to a start. After uh, being quite unlucky, being taken out a couple of times, but uh, yeah, it was it was quite a good, good win from him really because he managed to control it pretty well. He led for quite a bit of that second half of the race, even though he was probably a bit slower on the straight than the two Hondas. He managed to sort of keep them behind anyway. It was, I was I was fairly impressed with Messier because sometimes he is a little bit he's a bit ragged too and makes mistakes, but I feel like uh, on this occasion he he did a pretty good job. Yeah, I think in the previous podcast I said that I'd like to see him move up into one or two. It's interesting now that he's won a race and he won a good scrap. There was there was no low luck in that. That was a good battle. He deserved to win that one. He uh, he made the pass on Mino at the back into the back straight and was was strong in that last sector and managed incredibly clever. Michael Avery called it right as happening as they were going through um, turn 16, 17, 18, I think is what they call it. That triple right hander, like a one long three corners. He absolutely parked it in the middle of that to stop the Honda from basically carrying speed, forcing Mino into a very aggressive dive bomb, basically. He knew he wouldn't be able to get a stop and could cut back and take the win. So lovely, absolute lovely piece of racecraft from Messiah. And that, that was just as good as all the other overtakes he'd done, just to kind of have that mental... To be able to think at that time of the race, last lap, two corners to go, not to think, I have to go as fast as I can. I'm just going to hold up here. I'm just going to back him up. And in the end, he backed him up and cost him P2. He lost uh, Mino P2. Mino ended up running quite wide. And I think Fodger could see what was going on because if you see it back, Fodger gains a lot in that corner and just holds his position because he knows Mino has to try it there and ends up getting a P2 and another solid 20 points for for the Italian in his championship to hunt. Yeah, the preseason favourites starting to sort of romp away with it, obviously with Garcia being knocked off in that one as well. But we'll move on to Moto2 now, and uh, probably the first thing to talk about uh, was sort of just qualifying. Obviously, Cameron Bobier on pole at home. What, what a, I'd say what a shock. I mean, he looked quick all weekend, but I, I didn't think that he had the pace for pole particularly. So it was uh, quite quite a surprise to see that. Uh, Aldeguer was also looking pretty quick again, but... Uh, Focus on sort of the the Bobier pole. Did uh, did that surprise you as well? Yeah, it did surprise me. But again, I go back to what I said at the start of the podcast with the yellow flags. Um, without the yellow flags everywhere, I reckon people's people could have beaten him. Aaron Cannett was on a fast lap. No, he did crash of his own accord. I'd say, but again, you can't take it away from Cameron. He put in a stunning lap in front of his home home fans. And I, I cast your memory back to last year. In Texas, he had a brilliant race, was battling for the podium at some point last year. Came home in P7 or 6, if I remember correctly, last so. season. And 
50. Almost there. Close enough. Yeah. But um, he was battling right at the front. And that was his rookie year. And that was the first time we really saw what the uh, Moto America champ could actually do up against the Europeans. But uh, he does seem to have some serious track knowledge. And his qualifying lap was brilliant. And I was delighted for him. I did want him to get pole after he put it on. I didn't want anyone to beat it. So the yellow flags did help him out. But uh, still a stunning lap. And it was brilliant to see him look so happy after getting a, such a great result. And hopefully he can use that now to boost himself in a, going forward. Because John Hopkins, before qualifying, was saying that the one area he's weaker to his opponents is qualifying. He says he qualifies low, his pace is better, but he gets caught up in these battles for the, the second group and he just can't get into the, the top six, top eight. So he just needs to improve his qualifying. So maybe he's made a step this weekend. Yeah, it was, it was a nice, good, uh, feel-good story then. Hopefully, like you say, he can try and uh, improve based on that performance. Obviously, the race didn't go too well for him, sadly. Uh, he, he started off making a lot of mistakes and he sort of composed himself as a one on sadly obviously ended up crashing at the end but hopefully he can maybe take that uh, pole position take it in his stride a little bit but speaking of the race it was quite a chaotic one quite a few different crashes so uh, we'll talk about sort of the the first lap first uh, so there was the the crash uh, well actually two different crashes at turn 12 uh, the first one involved some Ketchantra and Sam Lowe's uh, Chantra just sort of got in hot, just hit Lowe's at the back, just took him out. So it was obviously unfortunate for, well, for both riders, really, but obviously very unfortunate for Lowe's because he didn't do anything wrong. And then behind, Aldeguer did a very similar thing to Zonta, wasn't he? He hit Zonta at the back and knocked Zonta off. And then I believe Gabri Rodrigo was the other rider involved in that. And I think he actually hit Zonta. So uh, that was, you know... A fairly a fairly scary thing to see. I mean, it was difficult to see at the time. You just saw a load of bikes going off into the sort of the runoff. But luckily, uh, Zonta was okay after that one. Well, all the riders were okay. Obviously, Zonta had been hit by a bike, so it looked like uh, it, it was good that he was uh, okay and able to walk after that. But what did you what did you think of that first lap carnage? Yeah, it, it was a scary. One. It was one of those things that reminded me of Le Mans in the Model 3 class where you just, there's bikes everywhere and your your eyes doesn't know where to look and you end up seeing nothing even though there's so much happening. You just, your brain can't keep up because you just see bikes everywhere. You don't know. It's just too much for you to take in. After watching it back, I'm very, very happy that Zonta walked away unscathed from that because he does physically get run over by another bike, which is... Um, just one of the biggest fears in in the racing, just any racing, especially bike racing, is just getting collected by another rider. Unfortunately, over the last five, ten years, any time there's a fatal accident, it's nearly always a rider being collected after a crash. And again, when it happens, you just fear the worst instantly. But again, we saw Zonta a couple of corners later, he was up walking around looking okay. So again, this young Dutch 16-year-old, it was great to see him up after that because getting collected by another bike is just everyone's biggest fear. But it looked like, and what I've been hearing is that Chantra had a false neutral. Now, over the last okay. couple of race weekends, it's, it's, there's been a little few murmurs that the Triumphs are having issues with going into false neutral. Now, false neutral basically is when you're back shifting, you basically end up between two gears, which means your engine revs drop, you lose your engine brake, and the bike just runs on. It pushes on in the en into the entry phase of the corner. It happened to... Again, I don't have confirmation. It happened to Sam Lowe's in 2020 at Austria when he was coming up into turn yeah. three and just basically he ran on. Very similar to what happened to Chantra Day. Hit a few riders. He got a pit lane star from that for the following round in the Zano. But back to Chantra. 
the amount of extra speed he came in, it seems too too quick for him to just have a break himself. These are professional, the top level. Like he won a race a couple of weeks ago. This guy knows what he's doing. It's unlikely that he missed his breaking marker by that much. Now again, the shot you see is the the camera on the left side of the track looking out towards the track, and you just see him coming in quick. You don't see maybe he had a collision on the entry phase of the corner, but again, I reckon it was a false neutral. Forced him just to run on, and he just has to aim for just trying to tread the needle. And unfortunately, he does collect Sam Lowe's and also Fermin again. Now, I don't know, Fermin's one, it's harder to see. You don't really know what exactly happened there, but again, he took Santa down, and it's just a mess, really. But it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next couple of rounds with the Triumphs. Will they get some sort of upgrade to stop this? A false neutraling becoming such a again it can be changed with the super clutch a, a more complex super clutch to stop him happening it can it'll force the bike up or down a gear it's just a small little technical glitch at the moment that's causing some issues it's always been a problem but every once in a while it does pop up a bit more frequently well it's probably some sort of change but again i have full faith that triumph can fix this and we'll stop seeing these these kind of weird crashes because they are a bit scary when you see a rider getting in so much quicker than his uh his opponents. Yeah, it seems to be a bit more of a, a problem this weekend. Like you say, it's obviously been happening for a while. It happened to Lowe's previously. And interestingly enough, I think it was Chantra he took out on that day. So I guess maybe it's a, yeah. bit, of a bit of revenge. But yeah, obviously we saw that was penalised. Whereas I don't think... Well, I think these crashes were investigated after the race. So I don't know what the results of those are. I don't think they've announced what the results of that will be. Uh, just yet, so uh, those riders may end up getting a penalty. Also, the two offending ones, Chantra and uh, Aldeguer, may end up getting some sort of penalty for the next race. But yeah, it seemed like a few riders are getting false neutrals. Uh, Jake Dixon got one as well when he was in the second position. I, I think Cameron Bobier probably got one at one point because he went on really wide into one corner, so he perhaps got one there yeah, as well. Yeah, turn from over side too. Yeah, so it was, uh, seems to be a bit of a problem, probably because of all of the, the tight hairpins that are going down the box so much, probably, which would make sense because obviously the previous incident was Austria, which is a track where you also do the same thing into that. Well, you used to do the same thing into that corner. Yeah. It probably will be a little bit different now, but yeah, so... <laughs> Perhaps that's something Triumph can uh, can look at. But speaking of crashes, obviously that was a race full of crashes, like I alluded to earlier. That was just the first lap. But then we had quite a few riders go down. Once we had uh, Vietti go down first, then uh, he was in second place, I believe, at the time when he fell off. Or was he leading? No, he was second. Yeah, he was he, he just quite lost close the lead, to Kenneth. I think. Yeah. So he fell well, off, and then a few laps yeah, later, Canet then fell off himself. So that was the the two main riders for the title obviously crashing obviously chantra is one of them that's also been doing pretty well so he was out lows as well so a lot of the title rivals crashing and then of course there was uh, also a costa fell off yeah, of course he's not a title rival at the, the moment he's not actually really in the championship because his, his star has not been quite as good as some of the riders but he would be one that you would expect will be up there so another sort of top rider crashing so there's a lot of crashes there they, they seem like very weird front end crashes a lot of them as well i don't know what the uh, you thought the same thing, but some of them looked really weird, especially Canets. He almost saved it, but uh, the front sort of went a couple times. It was a bit of a Marquez-style half-save, but then, unfortunately, it uh, went out from underneath him. But all yeah, of that... Yeah, a lot of them was down to the wind. I think it was... Uh, Neil Hodgson, I think, mentioned in the in between GP and the Model 2 race that the wind... In the final corner, turn one, and through the snake section was absolutely horrific. 
And again, it kind of does explain the weird crashes because it looks like the wire just gets pushed out. And he said that, like he, he described it with Sylvan Gatoli, he said it just feels like you get pushed. And he said it just transferred the weight into a weird position. He said that's kind of causes the bike then to slide. And it kind of explains why Vietti's crash looked like he kind of just lost both. He lost the rear and the front at the same time. And it, it was the same with Canet where he like lost the front, he caught the rear, then lost the front again. And it was a, it was a weird one. It was just a weird race overall with the crashes. And again, I go back to the track conditions. Again, wind isn't a track condition for say, but just a lot of the like you get wind in a lot of other tracks but it's the bumps when you're going over the bumps you have so much suspension up and down it's just so much going on that the bumps are causing so many more issues but all of that chaos left arbolino in the lead obviously he rode a fantastic race the, the two riders fell off in front of him vietti and can but then he absolutely cleared off into the distance didn't put a foot wrong looked he'd looked fine all weekend he probably could have won the race without those two riders crashing to be honest he probably would have uh reeled them in a bit more but as soon as they were gone he really got into his stride he checked out and was uh, an amazing win for Arbolino yeah I was a bit fearful that the same thing would happen to him because yeah I was too the two the two race favorites was Canis and Arbolino and Canis took off and crashed then Canis or sorry Arbolino was in the lead and I was like geez he looks quick he looks consistent I was like oh he doesn't crash and he pulled such a gap over at the time was Dixon, and then um, a Japanese writer in P two Agora. Agora, jeez, I was thinking of Mariachi. I couldn't get the name Mariachi out of my head. Actually, finished I, in second in the world class. Agora had serious pace and caught up, and he's actually he was really hard on himself in the post race press conference in the the interviews in the pits afterwards he was saying that he expected a lot more but he finished like three four seconds off the win after fighting back so quite strange to see himself so negative about such a great result considering he's now p2 in the championship i believe but he had great pace and again he passed dixon around the same time dixon had that suspected false neutral and he looked like he had the pace to maybe reel in arbolino but it looked like then arbolino just kind of stepped it up and was just so comfortable and again, Arbolino was another one in the post-race conference that was uh, just kind of saying that, like, this is for all, like, the people doubting me. He's like, he said, so he took off his glasses, he goes, look at these eyes, these are real eyes and stuff. And it kind of makes a point, like, of a lot of people are doubting him and stuff, especially the fact that he went from a pretty good Calix team that he didn't really do much to into one of the better ones. A lot of people are like, hang on a minute, why did this go? What, what did he do to deserve such a good ride with the Mark VDS team? And uh, winning in his fourth race, I think, is just showed a few people up, and I was quite happy for him because I actually I'm actually quite a big fan of him. He has a nice riding style, and uh, I hope to see him push on now. Yeah, it was a he managed to prove some of his haters wrong there, which is always a good thing. They do get that a lot in the in some of the riders get a lot of sort of like why has he got that seat and stuff like that. So it's nice for Arbolino so quickly into the season as well uh, to have proved himself. But I mean, to be honest, he's been pretty quick the whole season, so I would have already said he proved his. Uh, yeah. It's worth being there, but the win obviously underlines that. And of course, joining him on the podium uh, for the first time was uh, Jake Dixon. So it was really nice to see him finally get his podium. Obviously, he's uh, had a couple of opportunities that unfortunately he's thrown away. But uh, on this occasion, so he sorry. kept the yeah. He was uh, he was so sorry. Yes, uh, he, um, he managed to keep his head this time and brought him a podium. So similar, hopefully, to Bobier, he could probably build upon that and just try and improve uh, for the rest of the season. Yeah, I was just referring there. I'm so sorry to Le Mans. 
yeah. and he was leading ahead of Sam Lowe's and he was going so much quicker than everyone and he crashed <laughs> and he was and I feel sorry for him at the time I laugh now because he's he's kind of rectified that a small bit but he was in the pits and he was I think it was it was a stick of health he was sitting next to and he was literally saying I'm so sorry and he was bawling his eyes out he was gutted and um, he had a chance to do it then again in uh, Indonesia again crashed so it was starting to look was he cursed and then came into this weekend he looked happy a lot of people are hyping him up and I was going oh no not again don't do this to the poor boy but he in fairness he was one of the riders that looked like he had the most stable head and the shoulders for the weekend he looked quick and he looked consistent and he looked like he got on well with the bumps and wasn't affected he's quite a tall lad Dixon so I'd say he could kind of muscle the bike over the bumps and kind of ride it a bit more aggressive and uh, he did brilliant and I am quite pleased that he's got his podium I think he's got off his back now and he knows himself he, he was another one actually had a really strange race in uh, the interviews he was emotional he was like he was just so he felt like he was so down he's like I know it's only third like, but he said this is years and years of work and he said all them long days and all the work he said he's put into it and again of course we don't see that and like the stuff they have to put themselves through to get to that level is beyond belief and he he was just so emotionally kind of worn out after that race and he said oh, about 10 laps to go he said he got passed by Iagora and he just literally said he closed the throttle he said he wasn't going pushing he said he's been in this position four and thrown it away he said he knew he had seven eight seconds back to fort and he said i'm gonna ride this back i'm gonna take this podium i'm not going to throw this one away and maybe now if you can just start to put a few good results together we're going to Portimao next then we'll go to Jerez we'll go back to a track he was quite quick in pre-season there in Bodland Test so maybe just maybe this could be the start to something for Dixon yeah hopefully hopefully he can try and carry that momentum into the the European season but moving on to the main class then MotoGP and obviously the main story was that Mark Marquez was returning after his obviously the third time he's had double vision so he's returned he seems to have Got gotten over that this time once again, and he was looking pretty quick right away in FP1. So it was uh, no messing about for Marquez. So it was good to see, good to see him back. Yeah, with Marquez, he was after suffering his third uh, spout of dipopia. Now, first time it happened was 2011, and he was fighting for the Moto2 title. It happened in a really weird crash in Sepang. It was a bit of an, it was like yeah, it was an in-lap, and he kind of heist he high-sided and he went over the bars and he hit his head and he kind of bounced around a lot in the gravel but he went and kind of got himself right then and it was okay for a bit and like if you think of it that was before his GP career so I think of the crashes he had big crash for her in Aston in 2013 had a huge high-side where he actually got away with a luck he only broke a finger I think in that crash he had huge crashes in Mugello that year. 2014 was okay. 15, he crashed his brains out. 16, more big crashes. So the fact that it took to a training crash after him destroying his arm in Hurrah 2020 for to come back the second time, it's a bit of a mystery now because it's it's literally one of the biggest issues he has at the moment. The fact is, we knew coming into the season after getting... That's why he missed the end of last year as well. Just to kind of clear it up, a lot of people were confused whether it was the shoulder injury, was it the diplopia, or was it kind of a mixture of all things. It was He had double vision, and what you can do is go for surgery, but the more it's operated on, the less kind of successful it is, and also the it's, it's, it's better to leave it heal naturally after the surgery for the first time. So that's what they decided to do. Took the whole winter off, 
and they were monitoring the whole winter and they were kind of going, right, he looks like he'll be back for the pre-season in February. And he was, everything went fine. And he seemed to get back, his shoulders getting better. He was looking like, coming into the season, he was 95%, we'd say. And then we went to Indonesia, he threw himself to the moon, and bang, back to basic ground zero. He has the issues with his eyes again. Now, fortunately, it wasn't, even though it's one of the craziest crashes you'll ever see, it wasn't one of the biggest issues with his eyes. He's had more issues from smaller crashes, which is ironic. So he was able to kind of rest and he came back to him. He actually could have came back in Argentina, but he said himself he was still kind of, it was more of a mental thing. He didn't want to go back too soon. He wanted to wait. So he came back this weekend, didn't crash, which is a big thing for him. He usually throws, his, throws a few crashes at a weekend just to understand the limits. And in the race, had a big issue at the start and then had a brilliant race. I was really happy for him that he... Managed to get back towards the end of the race. He looked like maybe, maybe a small bit of fatigue, tire wear issues. Again, the bike probably wasn't at the best, but uh, it was it was brilliant to see his his weekend be a positive one after such a bad one, such a bad ending to his weekend in Indonesia. Yeah, I mean, whilst we're talking about his race, we may as well just you know sort of cover it. Obviously, it was uh, some weird weird thing happened to him at the start. I'm not really sure what happened. I'm not sure whether he pressed the wrong button on the bike. Or there was actually a mechanical issue or something, but it it sounded almost as if he was trying to pull off in the wrong gear. But obviously that's not something he was actually doing. So yeah, the uh, the power delivery seemed a bit weird. So that dropped him right to the back, and then he had uh, he had a proper job on there. He managed to recover up to sixth position, which in the current MotoGP field is unbelievable. Because even if you started down in that position, you wouldn't expect to to get that high up. But he obviously dropped back, so he didn't even have the first corner to make those positions back up like he usually would. So it was even more at a disadvantage. He had to push proper hard. Obviously, it was his comeback weekend, so I, it was a, it was an amazing ride. It was something the old Mark Marquez would have done. Now, the old Mark Marquez probably would have won the race still because he was that good at, uh, at, at Cota, but it was super, super impressive. He was passing people. He was doing it clean as well, which, again, is something we've seen him not do in the past when he's had a bit of a, a setback, so it was good to see that... Uh, that he was uh, making all the passes clean, but yeah, f phenomenal race, wasn't it? Yeah, and just as well. People, this will be again another thing you'll see on social media. Coming into turn one, he absolutely got it all wrong. Had to take like the inside line, flew up the inside of Maverick Vinales, and missed Brad Binder by maybe half a foot. Oh yeah, that was Thank crazy. Thankfully, they didn't collide because. He, again now maybe he'll broke himself or what but you just again you just kind of get the clip just a bit too late and you can see his overspeed is just too much he goes to the inside he has a bit of a moment and he just flies up thankfully just misses everyone and uh, had a big moment as well in turn 10 where he kind of like the bike just starts to chatter as it goes through uh, he had a few more moments in turn 11 he had lots of moments yeah he did he was pushing <laughs> In fairness, he did have a great weekend. He had a great race. The weekend wasn't the best. He um, he he looked like he, he there was a lot of times where he just couldn't hit an apex. It was the most I've ever seen him hit not hit an apex. I've seen him crash before and not be on his pace, but I've never seen him so many like so many weird mistakes where he just he looks like he just completely got the corner wrong. And again, it's just you wonder how much of that new Honda is he his his riding style kind of fighting at the moment so many years of having honda built him the exact glove for him and now he's 
he's just he has a basic one he just doesn't understand what's underneath him and he he's had some big crashes already this year and i feel like there will be more ahead but um i suppose we'll, we've covered mark enough for this episode yeah uh, so just to move away from mark then someone who was battling with quite a lot in the race was fabio quattararo and he had a pretty good race really considering the the package that he was on i mean you could see how much time they were losing on the straights even when he was in Marquez's slipstream, he was still like seven miles an hour slower than uh, Bastianini with no slipstream. So there, there's no chance for, for the Yamahas this weekend. I mean, the next highest Yamaha, I don't even think, got in the points. So P15, P15 he did at one point. Yeah. just got in the points. I I guess they must have just got out at the end because I saw him and yeah. Dovi were like together on track, like just outside the points right near the end. So yeah, uh, just must have picked up a point there. But Yamaha just looking in trouble. And again, Quattararo having to push way too hard to... Uh, try and make up for it you could see how late it was breaking but Yamaha definitely looking like they're in trouble yeah and I've never well I have noticed how good Fabio's on the brakes but there was sometimes in this race where he was just doing things that he shouldn't be able to do and secondly shouldn't have to do how how long does Yamaha have to leave this go I know they're not going to build a V4 they're not going to, to they're not going to do something radical but look at Suzuki yeah, there's more Suzuki, power to get out the inline. So yeah, they, they've proved that like that with the inline four, there is more potential, and it's not like like at the end of the race we'll come to Rins in a bit, but at the end of the race they were still strong, they still have good tires. But there was a, a part of the track and part of the race, I should say, where Rins was trying to pass Zarco. He squared him off into turn t- turn eleven, basically blocked him off the apex. Ducati still managed to get past him. But he was able to just kind of level him on the brakes, Neil Hodgson would say. Um, Zarco went deep trying to outbreak him. He cut back and got to move on. Fabio just can't do that. If you outbreak someone, even if he squares them off, they can still just power away from him. And even even if he's ahead out of the corner, he's so good on the brakes that he can't even make up that time. And then, like, you just have to wonder. Now, we know, again, their saving grace will be when we get to Mugello. Catalonia Jerez when they can do that qualifying lap and be 0.3 quicker in the the left the right the long corners the release the brake turn in nicely and all that and that's great and all but what about when we get to Austria we get to other big tracks that they're going to struggle there's not enough tracks that Yamaha can qualify first and run away with that Fabio can defend his title there's too many stop go tracks there's too many different types of tracks in this championship for them to be P7 at best. For example, his 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 results have been ninth, eighth, second, and a seventh. Now that's not in order, but there's four results so far. And like the second was again, he's not a wet weather rider as we covered in the Indonesian podcast. That was sublime from him in that race. That was like each weekend he's proving why he's world champion. Like if you look back at 21 for Mayor. Now, again, Suzuki didn't upgrade their bike as much as he would like, but he was nowhere. He couldn't do anything. Fabio this year has the exact same boat, but he is getting 150% out of that bike. He's getting so much out. He had one crash in qualifying. He's absolutely riding so well, and I feel bad for him because he's, he's riding so well for seventh. He's riding better than nearly everyone on the, on the grid to come home. Seven seconds, eight seconds off the winner, and I, I just feel quite bad for him because he's is so talented, and I think 
I think there could be another Maverick. I mean, he had a situation where it's just going to blow up and they will get very dicey in there and he will go a step away. And I don't think he'd leave mid-season just because I reckon he will try his way out of there. And again, if, if things don't brighten up a Honda, could we see the number 20 on a Repsol Honda soon? That's my... I don't see him going to Ducati, put it that way. Who's he no going to replace? Yeah. There's just... There's eight Ducatis, but there's eight, eight riders as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't see him going to Suzuki. No, because he'd be in the um, same boat pretty much. Yeah. That'd be kind of half a step forward at best. Yeah. I think I think that I'd like to see him on a Honda. I really like to see him on a Honda. It would be good but to again, see him on a Honda. You, you just you don't know who and it are they gonna throw it? Paul? Probably not. His day's good. I think Marcus has a bit of a veto as well on his teammates. So that is part of Marcus's country. It's been rumoured for a long time. A bit like Valentino kind of had in his early years of Honda, and then they kind of shagged him with Lorenzo. But for now, it looks like Marcus can have an input on it. I don't think he could stop them from hiring some, but he can definitely put some uh, pressure on Honda for certain people. But, oh, Fabio's going to have a long year for this is what he's going to have to do. Yeah, just it's just not good enough. But uh, moving from one manufacturer that had a poor weekend to... One that seems to have fought their way back a bit. Ducati seems much more like their 2021 selves this weekend. Now, of course, the Ducati's not been as bad as, as it seemed throughout the season. Like we actually mentioned in the last podcast that Martin had been doing very well every weekend on it. Obviously, they've they've had a couple of podiums this season already. They had two wins as well. So, you know, it's not like they're uh, they're in too much trouble but still it was uh the the factory boys mainly were struggling but it seemed like all of the Ducatis were properly on it this weekend five top five lockout I, I don't think I don't know if that's ever happened before I mean it probably has back in the day when Honda used to basically win every race in the season back in the 500s but in the modern era it's well you don't usually have five bikes that's just that's probably part of the problem but it's just unheard of for, for that kind of thing the the Ducati Looks like they've uh, they definitely made a step forward for all of the riders. They all seemed super super fast this weekend. Yeah, the Ducati's a weapon at the moment, and it was for the first few races. It was it was it was actually it was quite. It, if you look back, it can actually make a lot of sense. We went to Qatar, which is a night race in the desert that doesn't get used much. It throws up weird results. We went to Mandalika, track they've never been to for a race. Also, they threw in a new tire throws up a weird result they went to a track they haven't been in three years it's going to throw up a weird result so it may be we might have been a bit harsh on them and maybe everyone's been a bit harsh if you think about it that the fact they kind of these are all kind of weird tracks and weird combinations and now we got a more normal-ish weekend i think portimao was the first normal in air yeah, quotes we'll know Europe, probably and they were they were they were ridiculously quick. Top five in qualifying is. Oh, I remember just looking at it, going, "Jesus, that is, that is something like." Imagine, imagine me on an inline four going out. I have five Ducatis ahead of me. <laughs> yeah. You just you have so much work to do. Like That's it, race over already. It's not even started. Yeah. And the rate the race was quite good. Now the two Pramac bikes seem to go backwards, which was a bit odd. Peko looked like he was just missing that last last bit yeah he was a bit and anonymous really wasn't he Peko? yeah he kind of he dropped back and then at one point set the fast stop the race and looked like okay now there's 12 laps to go and he looked like he was going to push for it but 
just there wasn't really anything. He just ended up in no man's land, just ahead of Marquez at one point. And Marquez and Quattro are actually catching him, but the yeah, they were right behind him when they went over the line, weren't they? Yeah, they were, I think he was maybe managing some issues. Yeah, again, haven't heard anything from him, but overall, his weekend again solid points after his first two rounds, but. At a track like that, especially with Fabio, you would expect him to really be trying to cash in with a podium after getting a podium there last year. Yeah, you would, you would have thought so. But uh, obviously, speaking of the Ducati's doing better, we've got our first repeat winner, Enea Bastianini. What a race he had. He was, Again, it was a similar race to what he had in Qatar. He wasn't leading straight away. He just got to basically third place, sat there, you know, just sort of, surveyed the situation looked after his tires sort of let everybody else you know go flat out let miller get a bit of a gap miller did try and sort of bolt and i think that's when bastianini decided he was going to go but once again what a controlled race you would not know that this guy was in his second season like you know you you wouldn't know from just watching his riding it's unbelievable i mean the end of last year his uh, race management was fantastic but now he's got his qualifying sorted and he's actually in the league group could he really be a title contender now with uh, with two victories? Obviously, everybody sort of said, yeah, potentially it could happen after that first one. But now he's now he's definitely not a fluke. He's backed it up there with uh, with another victory and we're heading into Europe. Potentially, he could start. He could continue winning. We're going to a track. Uh, well, Portimao's next, but uh, then Jerez after that. Obviously, that bike won last year there. So, you know, Bastianini, he he really, you know, he. He could be the the championship favourite now. Yeah, and it's it's a it reminds me of last year with Zarco. He had such a good start, but everyone always says can't win a championship in a satellite team. So that's always hanging over you. That once we get over these weird flyovers, we get to Haret, Le Mans, Magello, the factory team get the new bike working, and from there on. It's a pretty much it's a one-way traffic. It's the the red team or the team that are dominant from there on, bar the occasional weekend or the occasional spectacular ride from one rider in particular. So when we get to like Assen, if he still is there, then he has no reason why he can't. But at the moment, I just have a small, small bit of hesitation just because he's in a lesser team on the older bike. So you always like if you look back at 2017. And 2016 with the Yamahas, they started worse than the Tech 3. And as the season went on, the Tech 3 riders just went backwards. And it's happened with Hondas over the years. Cal had strong starts the season. Marquez would pick it up as the season goes on. And it happens a lot with the Ducati. So I, I believe he's better than Zarco. Zarco was last year. And I believe he is one of the best riders on the grid. And he is such a brilliant riding style. And it's, it's, you look at Jack. He is very old school, kind of turns it with the rear, probably not really suited to modern MotoGP. You look at Pecco, he's an Italian Lorenzo, elbow on the ground, graceful, wheels in line. And then you look at Bassanini, and for want of a better way of saying it, he looks like Davi. He doesn't get massively off it. He doesn't look crazily out of shape. He just look, He's just quick. And we'll see in Portimao, but I reckon he could be a very, very hard man to beat this year. Yeah, definitely. I, I see what you're saying about the, the whole bike thing, but I will just say that uh, the 2019 Ducati, that was even older than what he's got now, and he was putting that on the podium at the end of the last season, so yeah, the true. development doesn't mean absolutely everything. But uh, 
There is probably one guy that we should uh, give a bit of a shout out to. We are, what, four rounds in now, and <laughs> he's finished every single race, Alex Rins. You would never have said yeah. that last year. You wouldn't have expected it. And it's not like he's been finishing sort of down in sort of seventh and stuff like he was last year when he wasn't crashing. He's had two podiums. He's He's been looking strong. I mean, in, in today's race, he was aggressive, but he never looked like he was going to crash, where, again, that's something you don't usually say with Rins. Usually when he's pushing, you can tell, and you're like, right, he's going to go down in a minute. But today, he looked, he looked aggressive, but not out of control. Yeah, I'm... I was delighted to, after his pre-race, or sorry, post-race interview in Qatar, he said, I could ride around that pace. If I wanted to push anymore, I would end up in the gravel. So I was like, great, he's made that mental switch where he goes, I need to ride at 99% and maybe save that 100% for that day where I feel invincible, where the bike setup is great. I've been quick since Friday, but at best 99%. And he seems to have done that so far. But also he's taken like a duck to water to that new Suzuki. He looks like out of the two Suzuki, he seems to get on with it better for whatever reason, I don't know. Be for just again, it looks like it, it looks like Mayer hasn't made a step this year, even though the bike has and Rins has, but Mayer still looks like he's at best PA in qualifying and has good race pace but nothing spectacular. Whereas Rins was fast man by far Friday it got caught with a yellow flag again we go back to the yellow flags got caught with a yellow flag in FP3 made him go through F uh, Q1 and then qualified quite well and was thereabouts for the race but again the fact he's not crashing and he looks so good on the brakes and he was like I mentioned in the previous where he had in the previous sector there that he was very good with his race craft during this race this weekend and he, he just seems to have it all it seems to be coming to him at the right time. He's kind of mature to a certain level. There's no questioning his talent. There's absolutely no question of how good a rider is. And the Suzuki looks to be in a bit of a just a nice zone at the moment. And it looks like that's a good package. So I'd be interested when he gets to Hareth because he's been good there before, but he's also had a lot of crashes there. He 2020 broke his collarbone. He had one of the most strangest crashes in 21 where he just ran wide. Yeah, and that was so was, weird. It was just like he was like stubborn. He wouldn't pick it up on the marbles and just tipped off. So I wonder if he continues this and he maybe gets the championship lead. Will it go to his head and will he start crashing again? There's a bit of a question mark over him. But I am, I'm very happy for him. I'm delighted to see it because he's, he's without a ride for next year at the moment. But he's doing himself a great favour here by putting in some solid performances. Yeah, I'd say if he keeps it as he is, he's definitely going to secure that Suzuki ride for next year because they all seem to be working pretty well together yeah. they kind of have the whole time so if he can stop bringing the results home then that's good but let's move on to the next race then Portimao the start of the European season where the real season starts as they like to say who are we going to be looking at for at this circuit obviously last year we went there twice and once it was a great weekend for Fabio not such a good weekend for Rins he was Running good, but he uh, that was on the race he fell out of, so perhaps Rins could be looking good for next weekend. But then there was another race where Fabio was struggling a lot, so you don't really know what you're going to get with Portimao. Obviously, we had the Oliveira thing as well previously back in 2020, so uh, who do you think we're going to have to look out for in Portimao? Um, Aprilia? 
Honda, babe? I, there's too many. I actually need like serious time to think of this answer. Yeah, I put you on the spot a bit there. <laughs> Ducati, they look better in a more normal track and it has elevation, has long corners, fast. It look, Texas has it all. So there's no reason why Ducati shouldn't be working well around Portimao. Honda is a question mark because pre-season look amazing. Qatar, they looked, well, Paul looked really good. Marquez was consistent but nothing spectacular. Bad tyres in Argentina and they, they just kind of looked lost this weekend. Paul Spargo had some food poisoning. Uh, Nakagami is finishing out his GP career and Alex Marquez crashed out of the race and crashed in practice and qualifying. So a pretty standard Honda weekend from the last three years. Yeah. And if just just Marquez, you just don't know what you're going to get at the moment. And I think it'll be interesting to see what he does in Portimao because it's a very... It's a track where you get a lot of sideways action. There's a lot of ups and downs, and I, I wonder will he have some issues with that bike, as he's had in previous rounds. But you'd expect quarter hour to be quick here, but he needs to qualify on the limit. Like he has to be. Front row is where he has to be. If he's not the front row, he's in quite a big predicament for that race because he's going to end up P7 at best again. He's going to have in my terms a bad weekend so overall i don't know what he's going to feel like going there after having won there last year also crashed there last year so he's probably going to go there slightly unconfident and maybe a little bit nervous i think he's going to go to many tracks this year nervous but to again come back to the question maybe everyone everyone's going to be quick there i'd like to see ktm bounce back i think aprilia will bounce back I think Suzuki will be strong there. Honda, maybe not. I hope Ducati are, and I think Yamaha, a question mark. So there's, I would have liked the, all the manufacturers, there's two question marks, and the rest I think will be quick. So what do I know? Anyone could win. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the best part about uh, modern MotoGP. Anybody can win. It doesn't matter who it is. Everybody on that grid is a Grand Prix winner as of the last race. So yeah, it's uh, it's 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 pretty difficult to predict, but... That pretty much brings this episode to sort of a close. Then, you got any? If you do, you have any final thoughts you'd like to say? Or again, what a championships is going to be? <laughs> yeah, all, tr- all three classes. I cannot predict the winner. I act- I have a question for you. We okay. both made predictions before the start of the season oh, yeah. on the three classes. Do you stand by Mark is winning the title and your other championship? Do you have any, do you want to change as we're going to European rounds now? Do you oh, want to make a I'll make a revised version. My predictions exactly. are not going well at all. If you <laughs> if you do go and watch that video. Um Moto three, I'm I'm sort of right, but that was fairly obvious. <laughs> yeah, we both got that one right. <laughs> but the others no. Uh, your Moto GP bet's not um not had the best start to the season either though, has he? So no, he's it's not just me. <laughs> yeah, it, the whole the whole championship is just thrown up in the air. Like the fact that Alessio Spagro was leading, no Bastianini leading. But who who knows? It could be anybody. Yeah, any anybody. Luca Marino could be leading going into the red. I don't know. Yeah, Bezeki could win a race. You know, <laughs> Darabinde even. You know, and anyone yeah, anybody can win this season. <laughs> yeah, everyone's a winner. But yeah, then that's uh, that brings this podcast to a close. So. If you did enjoy that, uh, like the video. Uh, if you're watching it on YouTube or if you're on Spotify, do try and rate us five stars. It does really help us out. Uh, 
I've been Reese, and we'll see you in the next episode. Goodbye. <laughs>